Hello, I'm Anna Hacker from Australian Unity, and this is a podcast that will get you thinking about what happens after you die. Sounds morbid, right? As a lawyer, my experience has shown that most of us are unprepared. Throughout this series, I'll be joined by a variety of experts and we'll be exploring what can happen to your business, wealth, kids, things, and even your body. Today, we'll be talking to Helen Callanan from Preparing the Way. I've heard Helen interviewed on the project and other TV and radio programs. She talks about her role as an end-of-life doula, and I'm so pleased to be speaking to Helen today for the second series of What Happens When I Die. Now, one of the reasons that I reached out to Helen was following the discussion with Jesse from the Groundswell Project. We realised that we really needed to talk more about what this end-of-life process is and what the discussion beforehand should be. Before I start that conversation, in all the reading and research I've done um, for our chat today, Helen exudes the most incredible energy, leaving me in no doubt that she's found her calling in this most important field of work. If you're looking for support with managing the end-of-life process, I personally could not think of a better person than Helen. So welcome, Helen. Thanks for joining us on this cold Melbourne morning. (laughs) And I think that there's probably no better way to introduce you than for you to tell us what exactly it is that brought you to being an end-of-life doula. Thanks, Anna. Thank you firstly for having me here and um, hi to all your listeners who's listening today. Um, what drew me to be an end of life doula? Let's start with what it is first. And um, so, because it's a word that a lot of people haven't heard of. And so doula is a Greek word, D-O-U-L-A, and which used to mean to be a slave. But um, we've upgraded it now a little bit, <laughs> made it modernised it a bit. <laughs> and uh, it sort of means person of service. And a lot of people may have heard of a birth doula. Mm. Um, so it's an end of life, uh, you know, we're the end of life version of that. And so as a birth doula um, and an end of life doula, it's a non-medical role. And we walk alongside people in times of transition. So we help people with planning. We help people with resourcing and, you know, working out what it is their options are. And then once they've chosen what it is that works for them in their particular time of transition, whether it's having a baby uh, or whether it's at end of life, um, then we walk alongside people, supporting them, providing that support, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, whatever it is they need um, to empower them to have the very best experience that they can at often a challenging time. Mm. And and what I find really interesting about the, the role of an end-of-life doula is that it's something that I've heard bits and pieces of. I mean, I work in this industry, yeah. this sort of death industry, um, preparing people with their legal documents and then also assisting afterwards. But it's not something that we hear about very often. Now, I um, went on holiday this year, which mm-hmm. is amazing considering all of the lockdowns and yeah, things right, that we've had, well. <laughs> but I managed to get that tiny little space in the middle where I was able to go away for a week and I had grabbed some books from the local bookstore. Um, I really didn't even look at what they were. I just grabbed the ones that I thought, I, I like that author, I'll get this mm. and I'll get that. And one was Jodie Picoult's, um, one of her latest books, and it talked about the whole um, premise of it was around an end-of-life doula. Yes. So after having heard heard the heard the um the job referred to a couple of times you probably don't even really think of it necessarily as a job but more of a calling mm. i suddenly read a whole book about it i could not put it down i thought this is something i need to know a lot more about so it's wonderful that you're here today um for me but i think that the listeners are going to get a lot out of this state today too because mm. it's something that i think people i think at end of life people think it's just, well, it's going to happen, so I'm just going to, I guess, roll with it and, yes. and, and and just see what happens. 
But I think that a lot of us un, are unprepared for what actually happens, so oh, the process so of death, mm. but also the resources that are there. Mm-hmm. I, I often say with a state administration, when people say, oh, can't I just do it myself? And I say, well, you can. You'll be an expert by the end, but you <laughs> won't be at the start. Yes. And at the start, it will be one of the most stressful things you do and you will probably want to have a professional assist you. I think that the probably one of the things that you have to overcome is people even knowing that your role exists. How do people find out about end-of-life Yeah, dollars? well, that, that's really very true at the moment. Um, it is very much an emerging role here in Australia, quite well established in the UK, USA, Canada uh, and Europe. Um, it's actually been around for thousands of years, mm. actually. Mm. Um, so the the thing with end-of-life is um, here in the West and in Australia, we, you know, we really often look at end-of-life as being a medical event. So we think of doctors and nurses and palliative care as being, you know, the go-to. And truth is we can't, very rarely do people um, die without having some involvement of medical and nursing support, and it's crucial. Um, and, and to have that done well makes an enormous difference. Where an end-of-life doula comes in is actually we are more bridging the gaps. You know, there's some statistics out there, Professor Alan Keller here, um, he did a talk about doulas and about um, the public health palliative care system and he gave some t- statistics saying that um, only 5% of the time that a person is approaching end of life or ageing or grieving, only 5% of the time do they spend in front of a doctor or a nurse. Mm. The other 95% of the time they're either alone they're with their family, their mm. friends, their mm. colleagues, their dog, mm. their computer, their internet, but mostly often alone. And that even happens in hospitals. So where Dula lives and works is in that 95%. Where about bridging gaps in, in service provision? Because as I say, I can't do my job as a Dula without great nursing and medical care, you know, c- going alongside what I'm doing, right? Mm. Um, however, um, end of life covers so much more than the medical. It's not a medical event. It's a deeply personal family community event. And so a doula is able to, as I said, bridge those gaps in providing that service. And I, the other thing about doulaing is that the, the, just so you were talking before about experts, you know, you're the expert in your life. Your listeners, they're the experts in their life. They know what's important to them. They know what their values are, what their principles are, what's what really is meaningful. So unfortunately, often in the in the medical system and often in the traditional funeral system, um, it's a bit cookie cutter. Mm. Do you know, everyone who's at palliative care um, will often get, you either go into hospital, hospice, um, or you, know, you might be in an aged care facility. Um, you know, you, you, you will be told what day the funeral is going to be and what time and how long you've got, and there's a particular formula. So there's no room there for individuality and for individual needs and values being met. And so that's very much where the doula comes in. I'm working with people on what's important to you. What do you need? What are your values? Well, you know, what are the options available? Because when you know what the options are, you can make choices that work for you. If you want to choose the, the, the traditional funeral, that's totally fine. Mm. But let's make sure you know all the options. Yeah. Because one of the things, you know, I lead training in how to do this work. 
And one of the things I hear over and over and over again in the training is, is oh, my God, I had no idea all of these things were available. Mm. And so if, and I would have chosen differently had I known. So yeah. it's about dealing with that we don't know what we don't know and just getting informed so you can make informed choices and feel more empowered. Mm. Mm. And the first time that we spoke, um, I was actually um, going through the death of my mother-in-law. Yeah, um, you, and, sharing that. And it was actually the day before she passed away That's that right. we spoke, but I didn't know that obviously at the time. And the comment that you don't know what you don't know, it just rings so true. Um, the discussions we'd had in the weeks before she passed away and she passed away on the first day of the lockdown four here in Melbourne. Right. Um, which of itself came know, that's, with yeah. its own um, complexities and and yeah. um, and frustrations for family and friends and, pain. and mm. just mm. immense pain. I, I think I just I think my phrase was, "This has made an exceptionally difficult difficult time even more difficult." Yes. Yeah, I agree. And when we talked, um, it made me think more about some of the options that might be available for for after she passes mm -hmm. away. So mm -hmm. arranging funerals yeah. and. Look for her. She, she, she. I looked at some very interesting options, which I said to my husband at the time. This is what I would like. Yes. This is not what your mother would like. Yes. So let let's go down the more traditional funeral um, path, and 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 absolutely, that was, and that that's really appropriate for some for people. Her, yeah, um, and, and work for the family as well in the way that they were grieving her um, and remembering her. But there, there's a lot of choice around. Mm -hmm funerals yeah. that I think people are unaware of mm. and unfortunately they have to look at this at one of the most difficult times often because yeah. someone's just passed away and they're having to make decisions. I think in in my line of work I talk about planning, doing things before it's too, it's sort of the, the that crunch moment mm -hmm. or that really difficult moment to make a decision. I'm sure in your line of the work it, it's the same yeah. a and it's all about that planning, giving people the choices as early as you can mm. so that they can think about it. And even though I know it's not really um, something that, well, people should talk about funerals and, and, and things for after someone's passed away well before it's mm. even needed to be talked about. But what other options are, are there out there? There's a traditional funeral, mm. but there's so many more. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let me just back up. There's a few, so many. So I know. I'm, I'm so like, sorry. I want to talk to you for a month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get on to funerals, so hold mm. that thought. Uh, before we get on to funerals, I want to just back up a little bit around um, around the cho making the choices. And what I see happen over and over and over again is people feeling um, like they don't have a choice. Mm. And that's actually not true unless you don't know there are other choices, right? So... Um, for for example, um, you know, there was a woman who I was working with and she, what was really important to her were her animals. Mm. And, um, and also um, along with that was what was going to happen to her. She was really did not want to go, what she said, I don't want to go in a cold steel box. In other words, I don't want to be at a mortuary. Mm. And so I said, well, that's okay. We can, we can manage that. And she goes, how? And I said, well, we can take care of your body at home after you've died mm. and your family can contribute to that if that's what they would like to do or we can manage that for you, you know. So here in Victoria, as an example, you're allowed to take care of your deceased person 
at home yourselves with with support obviously we need to take care of the body and be responsible for its its you know care and um, we need to make sure the body is cooled um and then um you know and the the what i see happen for people when they get time that time to do their private grieving to take care of their person mm. and because if you think about it no matter when death happens even if we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this person have ever gone through a long-term illness or they've been aging um when a person dies it's still a shock mm. right let alone talk about sudden death that's a whole other you know thing but let's just talk about this so it's a shock so that person that you care about it, it leaves and is is it's like taken from you right and that's what you know bereavement is about being robbed that's mm. the, the definition of the word so when you get to take care of your person at home and you know help bathe them and dress them if that's what appeals to you you don't have to do it right? but if it appeals to you and if it's something that you feel unmeaningful and people family come and gather and family reunites um and supports and the people close to them after a few days generally what will happen is the family or the people close to the person who's died will say okay we're ready now in other words we've got over the shock we've we've done everything we want to do we've said everything we want to say we've cared for our person we are now ready for them to go to continue their journey and as a result of that there's so much more empowerment mm. and um so that's one of the things i want to talk about is after death home based death care you know a term i learned and this we're leading into the funerals i am getting back there yes <laughs> um uh, a term that I learned, um, and there's a funeral director that I work a lot here in Victoria, um, and I, as I say, um, you know, they're, they're just such key players um, in this industry and really uh, industry leaders. And um, the organisation's called Natural Grace Holistic Funerals and they're based here in Victoria. And I've had the privilege of working alongside them in, a lot of times and I've learned so much from them and they their focus is on not only you know environmental and sustainable um, uh, practices but also on family led so mm. they talk about family led after death care family led funerals and as Libby who's um, one of the principals of natural grace says you know we we lead from behind you know it's about talking to families about what's of meaning to you as I said earlier, you're the expert in your life. You know you. You know your family. You know what's important. And so let's design your end-of-life cer funeral, ceremony, memorial, whatever it is you want to have That's that's fits with the values of the family and the people close to the person who's died. Um, so, so that's sort of, you know, it's getting into that family-led side of it. So in terms of what else, you know, is available in terms of funeral, um, you know, it doesn't have to be in a church. You know, a lot of people don't know. And so the law in each state around Australia is different. So uh, I'll speak a little bit about Victoria because that's where I live mm. and I, I know well, but I will mention some other states. But here in Victoria, for example, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that you can actually be buried or cremated in a shroud. You don't even mm. have to have a coffin. And that is something definitely, I mean, I talk with clients about mm -hmm. what they would want for a, for a funeral or a memorial yes. or, you know, the pro, you know, buried, cremated. It kind of doesn't go a lot further than that. Right. And I don't think that people probably even understand that there's, op you know, they think there's an option just in the type of 
of coffin or casket that they yes. they will be choosing. Yes. But they actually don't even need that. Yeah, well, that's in Victoria. You mm. know, in some other states you do need to have a mm. coffin. And um, so, but but some states you can get a permit to have a, a mm. shrouded burial or cremation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, you know, th- there's that as an, as an option. Um, you know, some people want to have something small and private with just their family. And, and there's a beauty in that. And then they can have a larger memorial, you know, later. Mm. Um, there's a lot to be said for having ceremony around the actual cremation and the burial. You know, I've been present at a natural burial, so in a natural burial ground, and, um, you know, the person um, was in a shroud that was being um, buried and, and there was beautiful gum put into the bottom mm. of the, of the um, plot mm. and flowers then put in and then they lowered their person in, uh, in, in the shroud and then they put more flowers and more gum leaves and things in and then the family and the community, they were the ones who filled in the hole. Mm. So they got to be a part of mm. this incredible ceremony and then they got their table and chairs out and, and had a glass of wine and bicky and cheese and just celebrated together, yeah. do you know? Yeah. Like just having it be real. And, um, you know, I remember one of the doulas who did the training with me, she had a great story. Um, she's actually from the Maori culture and they do death so beautifully. Um, they, they really bring their person home. They take care of them at home for a number of days. There's a lot of celebration, people talking to the person and saying whatever has to be said mm. and getting things cleared mm. up. And there's a lot of ceremony and celebration and honouring. And, um, and uh, when she said that she went to her first Australian um, funeral, mm. <laughs> she sort of sat around going, what's going on? you know, why is everyone so silent and why isn't anyone saying anything and why, you know, it really, like she said, said it was really unsettling. Formulaic. Yeah, very different. Right, very yeah, different. because it wasn't, it, it was almost unnatural, you know, because grief to me, I've learned over time, yes, it can be messy and very painful and it's a gift. You know, we only grieve where we've, where we've loved. Mm. You know, it's so true. Right? So to give our voice to our grief, to be able to express it, so whether that's through having time with our person after they've died or as they're dying, again, planning for that, um, whether that's in expressing how what what how we're going to take care of their body after death, whether that's in what sort of a container they're going to go in. Um, you know, I know my mum, you know, was raised a Catholic and I looked after her for a number of years. She had dementia. And I lived with her for a number of years and and she, she sorry, she wasn't raised a Catholic. She changed her religion to mm. Catholic when she married my dad so that all the kids, because um, he had been married and his first wife died and and so that all of the kids could be raised, um, you know, Catholic was their, was their, uh, what they wanted to do. And I remember mum saying to me, look, I know I'm Catholic but promise me you won't put me in a box mm. because it used to be, you know, against the Catholic tradition to do that. And, I'm, in fact, it may still be. I actually don't know. So excuse me for not knowing that. But um, and I said, I promise you I won't do that to you, Mum. She said, no, so I want to I make sure. She said, it just terrifies me going in a box. Mm. And there are options, right? So it's about people knowing and, and doing what feels right. And what I talk to people about is what are your preferences, you know, you think about it, often um, these days with birth, for example, right, when, when a woman's pregnant and um, going to have a baby, there's a lot of planning that happens. 
and, okay, my preference is that I'm going to have a home birth and a water birth and I'm going to have dim lights and nice music and my partner and the midwife and that's it and we're going that way. Yeah. That's what I want. And in, in any responsible planning, you have plan B. In case there's some emergency, you need to get mum and baby to hospital so that there can be the right care and, and for the best outcome. So it's a bit the same thing. You know, sometimes as people are getting closer to the end of life, they and, you know, the stats are, and I think you we, we talked about mm. this, you know, the stats are that there are around 70% of people say they want to die at home, but only 14% get to, 14 mm. Now, that's ridiculously low, and there's a number of reasons for that and a, and a couple of them to address just a couple of obvious ones. And the other reason um, that uh, often people don't get to die at home is because maybe the medical needs or the care needs of the person have got beyond the caregiver. Often there just aren't enough literal hands on the ground looking after the person. And when I'm planning with someone and we look at their end-of-life plans and what are your preferences, I prefer to die at home, great. We need to work out where are the team of people that you're going to need for that. You know, really yeah. it takes two two people around the clock and not the same two people mm. to provide enough care and support. And, and it's not just, I mean, having been through the discussion yes. around my mother-in-law coming home, um, which was her preference. So she was in the the seventy percent. Yes, and she ended up being in the eighty um, six quick right. maths eighty six percent that didn't die at yeah. home, um, which was extremely distressing for her, distressing for everyone yes. because she would was talking a lot about how upset mm -hmm. she was that she couldn't go home. But it's not when people I think think about the caring at home. They think it's just physically being there. Yes. But it's actually she had oh, to be moved. She had yes. to be lifted. Yes. She had The house had to be um, put into a position where yes. she could get um, from A to B, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, being toileted and in the yes. bathroom and, and, and even just having a bed changed. Yes. How is that going to happen? Exactly. You know, you have professionals coming in but you can't have them doing everything. So, yes. again, it was who can come in. Now, there was a lot of people who could do it, who wanted to do it, mm -hmm. But could they do it? Mm. Could they actually lift her? Yes, um, safely. Safely. For their man, for her. Exactly. Yeah, and that's exactly there, there's, right. there's often the people that want to, mm. but can they? Mm. And and I think that that's something that unfortunately, again, is only looked at at the point where it's almost too late yes. to put it in place because you can't have enough discussion to really work out how we mm. can do this. It's a, It will have to happen soon if it's going to happen or else we'll go down this other path. I totally agree. And I, I looked after my dad at home for the last two months of his life. I was his 24-7 caregiver mm. at home. And um, dad uh, had multiple myeloma, mm. which, and he was very lucky in that he, he didn't have any pain. Um, he, he just was getting frailer and frailer and frailer and more unwell. And the last um, two days of his life on the Thursday, um, he, he he also had some renal involvement and things and kept having this experience of, you know, needing to go to the bathroom. And so I was, Dad was very frail at the time, so I was physically able to, you know, assist him, get from chair to commode, commode to bed, bed to chair, et cetera. And so on the Thursday I moved Dad's bed and my mattress into the lounge room so that I could just be in there with him because he was needing my attention many, 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 many times through the night. 
Mum wasn't getting any sleep. Um, so I said, well, look, let's us move in there, Dad. So then I'm up and down all through the night, all through the night. Then uh, the next day I'm caring for him and um, and then we do it again Friday night. So two nights now I've hardly had any sleep. Mm. And I remember Saturday morning going to feel, thinking to myself, I remember having this thought so clearly, I don't know if I can do this another night. You know, I just felt so exhausted and and frustrated and sad and, and angsty. You know, it, it was such a... It was it was tough, you know, and and as it as it turned out, um, you know, I got some support in that day, and my family came, and all of that, and and it, as it turned out, Dad died that night. Um, so I'm really glad, but I remember having the thought, I don't know, I might have to put Dad in hospital. Yeah. It was not because Dad needed to go to hospital; yeah. it was because I didn't know if I could do it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is what happens. And people feel absolutely devastated when they have to, you know, put their person in hospital when they know their person doesn't want to. Mm. But they just can't do it. And the We've got to take care of the caregivers absolutely. as well. It's so crucial. Yeah. And and a lot of people, you know, the wives of people, the husbands of people, the partners of people, the children of people, the mothers the, who are doing this gargantuan caregiver role and unless you've done it you have no idea of of the extraordinary feat that it is and, and what constant. it takes uh, and it's 24 it's 7 relent unrelenting yeah, yeah absolutely and, and the burnout of of the carer i think is something that people need to be more aware of and and it's I think that uh, something that we all do is we say, oh, you're just so good for doing this. So, yes. so it's sort of this, um, which is great, that's wonderful to support a carer, mm. but I think that we need to say what can I do to help as well Yeah. to, to try, you know, if it's a meal or if it's do you want mm -hmm. to go. I remember when um, my uncle um, was unwell and, and then passed away from motor neurone disease. My mum used to visit each week mm -hmm. to give his, um, so her sister-in-law, yes. his wife, a day off Yes. so she could go and just look, do something for herself, yes. which probably was mostly just doing grocery shopping and yeah, things she exactly. had to do yes. because she couldn't do that's that. Right. But it's asking, can we help? And that's, again, we, we look at for so many things in our life, um, we look to professionals to assist us. Mm. That's the role of an end-of-life uh, doula. Absolutely. And just for your listeners' um, um, support as well, there's a wonderful um, website called www.gathermycrew, C-R-E-W, gathermycrew.org.au. And it's a bit like a calendar. And what you can do is put, okay, we've got to bring a meal this day and we've got to walk the dogs that day and we need taken to appointment this day, this day and this day and we need, doc, you know, taken x-rays here and this here and that here and this there. Put all of the events, that, the things that need to be managed on a calendar and then you email it out to people in your world and they can go, okay, oh, well, I can bring dinner that day. Oh, I'll pick up the things that day. That's a great so, resource. Because often here's the other thing that happens because you're right, people will people want to help, right? People want to make a difference. But often the person who's in the caregiver or the primary care role, they don't even know which way is up, let alone where do I begin to tell you everything I need doing. I don't even know it all myself. 
So to have, and that's sometimes what I'll encourage is if people, maybe some people don't use the computer, I will say, okay, so who in your family, do you have a daughter or a niece or a friend or a brother or something who can, you know, can come, who can, who can be a bit of an organiser? And let's have them, every time someone says, you know, um, oh, can I help? I'd love to do something. If you don't know what you need, you say, thanks, write your name and phone number down here and the sort of things you can do. And, and then we'll contact you and then someone can organise that. Tip. Mow the lawns, walk the dogs, do the garden, fill up the car with petrol. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like just practical things, pick up the kids from school. You know, the, the caregiver burden is so underestimated and, you know, there's a, some research came out of Western Sydney University in 2015 called uh, an ecology of care and they looked at the formal network which was the doctors and the nurses and the this is and the that is then the informal network is all about family friends community um around and neighbors and 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 work you know workmates and things and what they found was on average it took an average of 16 people in the informal network to support someone to die at home mm. So when I'm meeting with a family, a new family, and we're looking at, well, what are your preferences? What are your options? I want to speak a bit more about preferences in a moment. Um, what are your preferences? What are your options? Um, so that that you can actually achieve those having those preferences met mm. and work out with them, you know, what it is that we need, what it is that we want to achieve and actually getting down to do that. And also having, having you know, what I call a realistic conversation with people and saying, you know, getting back to the preferences about let, let's go for plan A, okay? Plan A is you stay at home, you do this and you've just got the family around you and the dog and, and it's easy and all of that. The doctor comes and goes and all very happy. Let's make up plan B and plan C. And plan B is what if you need more medical support than we can provide you at home? And we need to look at what palliative care services are available in your area because different councils have different availability. Some um, some councils, for example, you can get your palliative care worker to come in seven days a week for half an hour at a time. Others, you might see them for 15 minutes three times a week. So we've got to bridge those gaps, find out what are the services around you so, we're, so we can start to build a team this is a team thing. It's a community thing. When I say community, I don't mean people out in the streets, mm. but I mean the community of us. Yeah, you know? a, it takes a village. It ta yeah, there you go, yeah. perfect statement. Yeah. yeah, it takes a village, exactly. And so looking with people about let's, let's look at scenarios now while there's no urgency and we can make considered options and thoughts and make some plans. Plans can always change. We can change them, but let's have a, a bit of a roadmap. You know, it's like, you know, often when you think about it, we plan for our retirement. We plan for our 21st birthday. We plan for our wedding. We plan for our birthdays. We plan for all of these events in life, but we don't plan for our death. Yeah. It's nuts. Nuts. That one of the most important things of our life is our death because it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. As you said, it's people try and avoid taxes, so it yeah. really is the only thing that's <laughs> exactly. inevitable. Um, but it, it's also something that can be done well or it can be done not so yeah. well. And when it's done not so well, then that 
doesn't just impact you, the person mm. who's passing away, mm. who's dying. It impacts everyone around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the key for anything I think that we talk about on this podcast, it's planning. Yes. So whether it's doing a will, a power attorney, yeah. or putting a roadmap down to say this is this would be my plan A for, mm-hmm. for my death. Mm-hmm. And having that conversation when it is um, a conversation that is not literally mm. about to happen in the next couple of days. That's mm. a little late. I mean, yes. you can still do it, but yeah. it's it's probably not as helpful as you do it at this, you know, as early as possible. Yeah. Well, I'd like to add something about that because planning, um, and I've worked alongside many a family that, okay, we're, we're in the hospital stage. We know our person's getting close to the end of life. And I can gently try and bring up conversations around funeral planning, around what what do we want to do, after death, and they're just not ready mm-hmm. to have that conversation. So I can't force that. You know, everyone's got a right to choose and, and to discuss or not to discuss as they see fit. Do we know planning makes a difference? Yes. Is everybody ready to do that? No. So again, but this is where to me as a dollar, I so love my role because it's i'm i've got to have my focus on you the client whoever i'm working alongside and if you're not ready to have that conversation then i don't have it i'll i'll probably bring it up a few times see if you're ready yet no you're not okay good because this is your journey and you know what's right for you and 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 then it may be that we wait until after the death and then we start making those plans it's okay to do that What we know, though, for sure, is to have had preliminary conversations and at least talked preferences. And and then there are still sometimes that that hasn't even happened. And here's then when when we come back to what Natural Grace and Libby talk about, um, Natural Grace talk about about family-led, is like, okay, let's say the person's died and now I'm sitting with the family and we're looking at, well, what are we going to do now? What And then we look at, well, who was that person in their life? What were their principles? Mm. What were their values? What was important to them? You know? And because there are people out there that say, I don't care. I'm going to be dead. I'm I not, hear uh, that right? all the time. I constantly. don't care what's going to happen. I don't think it's true in most cases. Right. But everyone says it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to, I'd, I'd like to address that a couple of things about it. It's a good technique to deal with yeah. that. And I'll, I'll share in a minute. Um, and so, you know, getting back to that, that it's like, and that's okay if people don't want to, but but for the people left behind, how do we make this as painless as possible for them? It won't ever be painless because they're grieving. And, but that feeling of what, and I, and I, this is one of my aims when I'm working with a family is that when it's all over, when everyone's gone home and the dust has settled, that they that a family can honestly put their hand on their heart and go, you know what, we did a really good job. We really took care of them as best we could. That's what I want people to have that experience. That doesn't mean they had to have full-on set of instructions from the person who was dying, but it means that they made considered choices and that there was there was agreement, you know, in, in you know, yeah, that was him or that was her. Mm. She would love that. Mm. Or no, she wouldn't love that. That's yeah. a bit too out there for yeah. her. She's much more traditional than that, you know. So all of that's good um, when people say that, oh, I don't care, I'll be dead, you know. 
Um, and that's a really valid point. And, and, you know, whether that's true or not, whether they care, they're clearly not ready to have the conversation, all right? And that's their right. Mm. You know, we're not here to push anyone into anything. That's not the point. However, I think about it this way, that when someone dies, their death lands on someone's lap. So that can be quite traumatic for people not knowing um, what that what those choices are, not knowing what they wanted, and then having to scramble to try and make all those decisions. And I've worked with a couple, young man, um, 44, got sick one day, died the next, suddenly out of the blue, just random, three sons, mm. uh, young young boys. Wife to this day, many years later now, to this day still agonises over whether she chose the right thing, burial or cremation. Why? Because there was a conversation they didn't have, mm. right? So getting back um, to that as well, that around when you've got a person who says, I don't care, do whatever you like. I won't be here. She'll be like, I won't be here. <laughs> yeah, you just do whatever you like. And it's always with a bit of a laugh. I won't be here. I don't exactly, really care. Exactly, exactly. Like, like some, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it ain't going to happen to you. Oh, yeah, it is. But it anyway. Is. But anyway, and that's, that's they're right. As I said, death lands on someone's lap. So I've had to do this in my own family. There's um, someone that um, I'm close to and that they're like, well, I don't care, do whatever you like. And so, and I went, you know what, their death's going to land on my lap. I know it. And then when they die, I'm going to be a mess. That's going to be really devastating for me. I'm going to make my plan for their death now. Mm. So I sat down. I really did my due diligence, right? I, and I'm I'm lucky because I know mm. a lot of the options. I was going to say you, right? are, you are kind of the expert in the area. Well, so. <laughs> I don't know about expert, but I, but I certainly know a lot of the options. And so, um, so I sat down. I went right now. I know this about them, and I know that about them, and I know. So I think uh, they wouldn't want to go in a steel box. I think so. I'm going to have them at home, and I'm going to take care of them at home, and I've got to take care of the dog. And uh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And then I'm going to arrange a natural burial because, you know, they're very into the garden and permaculture, mm, you know, all that sort of stuff. Right? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. So I thought, nice natural burial, shrouded, no box, nice. So I went to this person and I said, look, um, I just want to uh, share something with you. You don't have to say a word. I know you don't want to talk about this. You're right, no problem. So I just went through this plan. And at the very end I said, no, cremation. And I said, oh, okay, no worries, all good. If they had have said, yeah, whatever, whatever, I don't care, I would have been great. Mm. I've got my plan. Mm. I know what I'm going to do if something happens to them. Mm. And it's given me enormous peace of mind to of know course, that, yeah. right? So that's another way for people around it is, you know what, if your person that matters to you can't have this conversation and not everyone can. It's okay. You sit down and you work out what you'll do mm. because ultimately you're going to be the one who's in the tough spot. Yeah. And if you can pull out a little book you've got written down, what you were thinking, because you've thought about that in your time of love for them mm. and in you've considered it and you've weighed it up, you can always change it. Mm. It's not in stone. And but then as you're talking to funeral directors or you're working with your daughter or you're doing whatever you're doing, you've got these things to guide that roadmap, you. Yeah. You know? It can and, be really helpful. And takes that pressure off at the time when 
you are thinking of a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And as as you said, bereavement. Yeah. yeah that that's that's well, not the time that you may think of all of the options as well. No, yeah. it, that's so true. I have so many people say, Oh my God, you know, I wish I'd known all of mm. these options. But also I think the other thing is that don't rob yourself of your grief. You know, when when a person dies, it, it it's it's a it's a massive loss. It's a hole. It leaves a hole that really never gets filled. And so to be able to honour that and give room to that is actually health-giving. It's when we stick a lid on it so busy with all of the things there are to do and organise and plans to make and meetings to have and stuff to do that it actually takes away from the healing that grief is. Mm. And you're... you're you you will have to deal with it at some point. Yeah, and let's hope it doesn't turn out turn up in your health later. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. especially you know, and I think I, I my heart goes out to to our older people and our our uh, you know our elders. You know, they've often had lifetime relationships. You know what I mean? Like really long. And to to be to be elderly and 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 getting frailer in life. And to feel and then to lose the person who's been by your side, mm. I mean, that's just brutal. Yeah. So to have had those conversations and that feeling of knowing if a person is able to talk about it and is willing to to share what their thoughts are and what their wishes are, if they are able and willing to do that, to know that you're giving them this final gift mm. of giving them the gift of I'm, I'm giving you what you wanted. Mm. And that's a feeling of of healing and satisfaction um, and fulfilment that really, you know, is meaningful for people. Absolutely. I mm. think as well in your role, um, you know, we we could continue speaking for t- for days probably about this I'll topic. I'll come back if you want. I Absolutely. <laughs> but I do think that it would be good to, to give listeners a bit of a gift of what is it mm. that in your role, um, you you hear people say most often they wish they had done earlier or they wish they'd thought about earlier. Mm. Putting you on the spot, That's okay. No, that's okay. Let me just think about that a minute. So what is it I think most people What is it that they, that, yeah, they wish they'd done they or they wish they'd thought about or they, they, they regret wish they not. Knew. Yeah, wish mm. they'd known. Um, I think without a doubt it would be when people learn what's available in family-led after-death care, home-based after-death care, or even if it's not home-based for whatever reason, but then also family-led funeral care, that's changed my world learning about that and seeing the difference it makes in families, people realising, oh, my God, I could have I could have bathed my person? I could have done that? I didn't know that. Why didn't anyone tell me that? Mm. I could have taken care of them at home instead of them going off to the morgue and in a steel box at the funeral directors. Why didn't I know that? How come I didn't know? Why didn't anyone tell me that? You know, that um, you mean I could have helped put them in the coffin and I could have bathed them and combed their hair the right way so they look normal? Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't even know that you don't have to be embalmed. You know, embalming is quite a, a, a 
an intrusive procedure. You know, it's knowledge. It's all about knowledge, mm. you know, knowing what your options are, mm. um, I think. So it's about options, yeah. I would say. I wish I'd known what was available because then we had choice. Yeah. Then we had choice. And power mm. with knowledge. Exactly. I think that um, that's a great place to to end today. Sure. Um, and I think that listeners will already be wishing that they'd written down all of the the, <laughs> the information that you, you've said. So what we'll do is in the show notes include um, links to your um, your website for sure. preparing the way, um, and also some of the other things that you spoke yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that there is absolutely at least a dozen more conversations we can have. Um, I really I'd be happy to if you want to. And I thank sure. you so much for your um, generosity of time today and, and sharing of knowledge. It's been so useful, I think. Um, the listeners will probably not have even had a conversation like this before. Yeah. And and the main thing is to start it now. Well, that's right. It, it just, you know, start the conversation and even just start with I want to have a conversation. Exactly. Or get clear on your own things and start to share that if someone else isn't ready to share theirs. Yeah. That can be a good conversation yeah. starter as well. But thank you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm just I want to wish my very best wishes to all of your listeners and um, send my heart out there because it's a, it's, a, it's a tough road but it can be way more gentle uh, and and comfortable than anyone realises um, when you've got choice and you know what your options are. And I think that after this, listening to this conversation, they'll have a lot more ideas about what options there are. Yeah, yeah, good. Thanks so much, Helen. You're welcome. Thank you, Anna. Wow, what an episode. I think that even if we haven't heard of what an end-of-life doula was before today, you're certainly going to be hearing about it more in the future. I think that what Helen and other end-of-life doulas does is something that we really need to take seriously. It's all about having a good death, making sure we're prepared and making sure we have the right people in our pocket when it happens. So, as always for our listeners, please make sure that you take an opportunity to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. If you have a question, it'd be fantastic if you send it through to whwid at australianunity.com.au. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 